2: Tuesday
1: morning, the 20th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 28 European leaders will meet this Sunday in the hope of finalising the Brexit withdrawal agreement. One of those leaders, the British Prime Minister Theresa May, is facing substantial opposition at home to the proposals. It remains far from clear if the terms of the divorce can be ratified there. Otherwise, there appears to be a united front across the other 27 european countries the general affairs council meeting in brussels yesterday of eu ministers agreed that there should be no change to the wording of the text in the draft agreement finnegal td for me the east helen McEntee is ireland's minister for european affairs good morning to you minister and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the program morning, morning michael uh, obviously there's many people in the united kingdom who wouldn't agree
3: Well, I I think we've seen from uh, the very start that there are very different views um, on this process, how Brexit should happen, take place, and obviously now since an agreement was reached last week, firstly between the two negotiating teams and then approved by the UK Cabinet, there have been a lot of different voices and different views, and and since we spoke last, as you've said, a number of things have happened. Um, The Prime Minister has uh, met with her own MPs. She has, um, I think, stood for almost three hours answering questions, she has answered uh, questions from journalists and she has spent the weekend essentially doing what I believe she needs to do and, and what we believe in is selling what has just been agreed. Um, So yesterday, European ministers met to discuss again what was agreed last week, and there was a unanimous vote or or, or decision that the text itself should not be changed, but that also we should allow this to go forward and that this Sunday, when we have a special European Council meeting, which the Dietrich and I will attend, um, that European leaders should sign off on this um, and obviously then allow each member state to go back to their countries including the UK, to sign off on what would be the final agreement.
1: And that message yesterday from yourself and your European counterparts that there is no scope in changing the text of the agreement, I gather to some degree at least was aimed at the five ministers who've been meeting uh, looking for a way to change the text.
3: Well, I, I think there's an agreement on both sides and the Prime Minister herself was very clear that at this stage following two years of intensive and and very difficult negotiations that we weren't going to be able to open up the text. And I think to suggest that we could open up the text and having spent two years negotiating what has finally been agreed, Mm. um, it wouldn't be an easy thing to to open it up, but to to actually get a better outcome would be my view and my opinion on this. So I think what we need to do now is those of us who believe in the agreement, believe in uh, the overall agreement that was reached on both sides, That we need to explain why we've reached that agreement, um, what it actually means and what the implications would be moving forward. Now obviously that's something that the Prime Minister needs to do herself also and as people maybe might have seen over the weekend, that's something that she certainly has been doing Mm. on radio stations but Mm. also Mm. uh, engaging throughout her own.
1: The UK. Indeed, but having said that, she is just one voice. Now she may win the argument, uh, and uh, there is no telling at this stage. But she is just one voice in the cabinet, one voice in British Parliament, and there is many other voices. She's lost two ministers and several junior ministers, and uh, indeed, we've uh, this group of five who are looking to change the text that they've apparently signed off on, which is uh, not untypical of how ironic and contradictory British politics is uh, at the moment. And then you have the DUP, of course, who are already voting against the government they're in a confidence and supply agreement with.
3: Well, I think it's fair to say, and and as you've described, it's, it's a difficult situation at the moment in the UK and politics in Britain at the moment is very difficult. But again, maybe just to remind people, and and I think it's important that what we're talking about, and particularly in terms of the withdrawal agreement, is not the future relationship. And the Prime Minister has been very clear, as have uh, Michel Barnier in the task force, but also the 27 member states. And this was reiterated specifically by the Thornish Day again yesterday at the General Affairs, that what we actually want to do is to move forward and to establish... A relationship which would ensure that specifically in terms of the withdrawal agreement, the Irish backstop is never used. And so that work is continuing now. The uh, political declaration that it's been called or the description of the future relationship that we want to negotiate has not been fully finalized. Uh, we met with Mr. Barnier yesterday and his hope and the team's hope is that they would finalize it today um, at the latest. And then that would give a very clear indication, not just to the 27 member states, but also to the UK and would allow the Prime Minister very clearly set out the direction that she wants the UK to go, the kind of relationship that she wants um, with the rest of the EU, including Ireland. And hopefully, again, she will be able to show that through this future relationship, through this close relationship that she wants, that we won't be using the backstop, that we won't be invoking any kind of an insurance policy because it won't be needed. So there is still that discussion going on in parallel with this. But you know i think both sides agreed having spent two years working on this document having um i think had a, a lot of ups and downs but finally come to a point where both sides could agree mm. to open up the text would not be the right thing to do and, and that was an agreement on both sides
1: how complicated is uh, the spanish position or how complicated minister is it uh, to solve uh, the spanish dilemma in all of this uh, because spain uh, as uh, an issue obviously with uh, Gibraltar and uh, the disputed territory there with the United Kingdom. And it's looking for a veto over future trade deals with Britain over Gibraltar. Uh, The uh, statement from Downing Street last night said that the draft agreement uh, covers Gibraltar. The Prime Minister has been clear that we will not exclude Gibraltar and the other overseas territories and uh, the Crown dependencies from our negotiations on the future relationship. Uh, Is this a significant problem?
3: Well, I, I think it's something that we have to listen to in terms of um, the Spanish foreign minister yesterday um, outlined concerns that they had at the general affairs. Um, and very rightly so. I think we responded in support and saying that we need to address any of the concerns that they have. However, it was agreed. And, and as you said at the beginning yourself, um, it was agreed that these issues could be addressed. And we could move forward, not in the context of the withdrawal agreement, but through clarification and through the future relationship. Now, the the issues in terms of uh, Spain and Gibraltar, similar to that of Cyprus, um, it was decided earlier on that those would be rectified through a bilateral discussion between Spain and the UK. So it's maybe not something that I'm going to to get involved in, given the fact that there is a bilateral negotiation. Michel Barnier was very clear with us in that every support and every effort to clarify um, and to ensure the Spanish government that their concerns um, have been heard and that they will be met, that that will happen. So obviously that's a discussion that has to take place and continue between...
1: Is that all that's on on offer to Spain? Spain. Are, Are they being denied a veto?
3: Well, the discussion again between Spain and the task force needs to be allowed to take place between those two, but also the fact that this is a bilateral discussion and engagement between Spain and the mm. UK. But as it currently stands, my own view and my understanding is that this is not going to stop things from moving forward. It's not going to stop all 27 member states, including the UK, 28, from ratifying or from agreeing what has been agreed this Sunday coming and the special council taking place. But obviously it's important that... The concerns that have been raised that they are addressed and and that's something that I know Michel Barney and the task force are working to do this week but I, I I don't believe that it's going to cause a problem, but we do need, as I said, to support Spain and actually understand the concerns that they have and make sure that they are and um, that they are satisfied moving forward because obviously we have been given such solidarity and such support mm. over the past two years and um, it's important that we do that too.
1: But is it right to say that it's undecided that Spain wants this veto over future trade deals uh, because of Gibraltar, uh, but it hasn't been decided uh, that they will or won't have that veto as yet, but uh, it has been agreed that there will be bilateral discussions?
3: So the bilateral discussions have been taking place for some time now. So it was agreed earlier on Mm. that this is an issue that we're be discussed and be decided between the two countries but obviously where there is legal clarity and certainty needed the task force is there to support spain so again this this is not necessarily um, an area that i think it would be right for me to comment on particularly Mm. at the moment given the fact i'm not asking you to give a
1: view on it minister i'm just asking you is it right to say that uh, it's undecided as to whether spain should be given a veto uh, as yet
3: there are still discussions to take place so Mm. it's not something that I could could answer definitively but But that's what I
1: mean it's it's undecided as to whether Spain will be given the veto or not
3: again that's not something that I'm fully aware of so as the discussions go on and obviously as there is greater clarity um, I will be able to inform you on that but at the moment um, following on from yesterday the Spanish Foreign Minister raised his concerns Um, I think it was very important that we support their concern to support um their need to get clarity on certain things and now obviously it's up to the task force um up to spain and of course the uk to continue that engagement and of course um i i would be confident that a solution would be found and that a re- resolution would be found i think moving forward as i've said the focus at the moment now as well is to ensure that the future political declaration is agreed that it's agreed as quickly as possible and that obviously moving forward on sunday that we reach that agreement so obviously there is still um time in the uk Um, As this progresses, my understanding is that any vote in the UK Parliament would take place. um, The suggestion is this day, three weeks. Um, So there is still time for the Prime Minister, as I said, Mm. to explain why this agreement was reached, exactly what it means. Um, for the people of the UK, of Britain, yeah. but also for Ireland and the rest of the EU.
1: OK, I, I assume there'll be agreement on, on Sunday, but just tell us what that uh, agreement means. Is it that everybody is agreed on the basis that it's ratified by the parliaments of all 28 countries?
3: Absolutely. So it now needs for um, the 28 or when this happens for the 28 countries and obviously some legally, um have to do this, others don't. Um even before the summit this Sunday, some countries have to legally bring this back to their parliament, say Sweden, for example. I met with our Foreign Minister Anne Lind yesterday and this had to be discussed even before going to the council this week. We ourselves will host um or will have a debate a um, private members' bill brought forward by our government tomorrow evening and then it will be debated again in the Shannot on Thursday. Um, but really what we need now I suppose is to ensure that the prime minister has given the time and space to be able to explain this, um, but also that mm. the parliament has to ratify it. Um, what we're so, hearing so far is positive signals from Manfred Weber, from Antonio Tajani, who who is the president of the European Parliament. But so far, their view of the proposal and, and what is there is is positive, and obviously we we don't see that changing.
1: Uh, and when will the Irish Parliament vote take place?
3: Uh so the vote will take place this week. So again it's not mandatory but it's something that we have put forward so we will have a discussion tomorrow in the dawn. Uh we will have a discussion in the channel on Thursday, but in the normal voting block that we have on Thursday just after one, there will be a vote on this. Now obviously um we will be engaging with all political parties and um I think it's important that we have the support of political parties, but mm-hmm. I think I do I, I think that we have that. We have again this is okay. a stakeholder so, form for we will inform the industry and sectors as well as our political parties exactly where we are and, and it's important that I think we do that and that we're transparent and that we engage with people the entire throughout this process.
1: I, I think there would be amazement uh, if it was voted down so it, it's expected that in effect to all intents and purposes uh, the agreement will be ratified by the Irish Parliament before the meeting of leaders, the EU Council uh, Summit on Sunday. Uh, not so in the UK uh, and what about uh, the other 26 countries?
3: So again it it varies from country to country as I said. Sweden, mm. um, any time their foreign minister or their European minister travels to Brussels, either for a European Council or General Affairs the agenda and the itinerary has to be debated and approved through the Parliament um, and other member states are similar to that. Others don't others have a a clear mandate for the foreign minister or the the European Affairs Minister, whoever travels? Um, So those discussions and debates have been taking place over the past week, and indeed I'm sure even after this Sunday those discussions and debates will take place. However, um, for the most part it won't, and I don't think, and I certainly haven't been given any indication from any of the other member states that there will be any um, suggested changes. As I said yesterday, we agreed that that would not be the case. But I think really... It's important for every parliament to be able to see and to be able to discuss and to be able to go through um, every detail of the document of over 500 pages long. Um, you mm. know, I,
1: and, I, and issues like the Spanish dilemma that we were talking about a moment ago could come up. But I, I, I take it that the big sticking block is the United Kingdom. Uh, but they should have decided one way or another by December and we should know where we're going before Christmas. Is that right, Minister?
3: So this day, three weeks, I would um, expect that there will be a vote in the House of Commons and Westminster and I, of course, I think like most of us hope um, that the Prime Minister will be able to get this deal through. I think having spent two years working Mm -hmm. on it, um, the only other option at the moment Um, is that we would have a no deal scenario and obviously that poses significant challenges but I think um, as I've said we need the Prime Minister at the time um, to do this. I know that she next week um, or possibly the week after will be debating this um, further and going through um, the various different stages that she needs to go through but obviously um, I believe that this is a deal which fulfills many of the commitments uh, in fact all of the commitments that were made last December Mm. um, and I believe that this is the best outcome not just for Ireland but for the UK and for the European Union So
1: if if the Commons votes it down it's a no deal scenario unless I take it they decide to go to a general election or a people's vote or a referendum
3: Again, that's, I suppose, something that would have to be decided by the UK government and the people in the UK. um, You know, politics is difficult in the UK at the moment. We know that. Um, However, I think that we've seen over the past week, the Prime Minister has been... Very strong and very Mm. clear, and I think she has proven a lot of people wrong um, in her determination, but also in the way in which she has been able to uh, reach an agreement. That she has been able to work with her colleagues. Yes, people have different views, and I think they're. You know, it's only right that people have different views. But if she's allowed the time, I think to explain the reason behind possibly uh, so agreement. but a, a I lot I lot, think that we can reach an agreement I
1: think a lot of commentators possibly the majority of commentators at this stage would expect the House of Commons to vote it down uh, if that is the case uh, it's to be decided yet uh, as yet what happens next uh, because I presume Europe will give uh, Britain the chance to look to another general election or to look to another vote uh, on Brexit itself
3: So I I think that's all uncharted territory at the moment Mm. and and really, um, you know, what we have on the table now and what's on offer is a deal which I believe, as I've said, actually fulfills all of the commitments that have been made on all sides. There is, of course, compromise on both sides, there's compromise um, on the side of the EU, there's compromise on the side of the UK, but the alternative to not voting this through um, is a possibility of a no Brexit deal and what we've seen very clearly from um, business, from industry and from people over the past week, not just um, in the UK but in Northern Ireland as well, is that the alternative and the suggestion that we would have a no deal scenario or even that there would be a general election or anything else is not something that people are very supportive of Um, and we've even seen um, the, the, the Ulster Farmers Union come out um, this week as well saying that this deal they believe is the best possible outcome for the British um, overall negotiations and I think you know people will take that into account and obviously industry have been analysing and scrutinising the, the, the 500 plus page document over the past few days and, and I think that will have an impact on the overall vote so I'm not saying that this will be easy I think the Prime Minister has a significant challenge on her hands Um but I do believe that this is something that she will be able to pass through if she's able to explain um, the reasoning behind this and, and how significant this is moving forward. That we get a deal and that we get the right deal, and I believe that this is the right deal.
1: Minister, thank you very much. Thank you. He- Helen McIntyre is a uh, Finnegan LTD for Meath East and uh, the Minister for European Affairs.
0: Michael, Michael Reed on,
1: on LMFM. Parents-to-be should enjoy far more state support in years ahead than perhaps parents before them did. This is under the first five, a whole-of-government strategy for babies, young children and their families, which runs from next year up to 2028. You'll see in a lot of the newspapers this morning coverage of how parents will get 14 weeks paid leave by 20. Twenty-one, but is one of the many measures that are being welcomed by many people, including the Children's Rights Alliance. Siersia Brady, its legal and policy director, joins us now. Good morning to you, Siersia, and thanks for joining us. You like what you're hearing, in principle, at least.
4: Yes, um, Michael, we've given um, first five a big thumbs up because it's the first time that we've had a strategy for very young children under six in Ireland, and um, we think that this is a really positive. Uh, roadmap to ensure that the rights of our youngest children are protected and respected um, in Ireland. So w- we can see a lot of different things in it that are really positive. You mentioned the parental leave there. Mm-hmm. There's also um, some really positive developments in terms of health and early learning and care as well. So. We do welcome it overall.
1: Indeed, there's many positive elements to it. But as you say, it's a road map. And I think the questions you have are about getting to the destination, if, how and when and indeed the funding that will be given to support it.
4: Yes and yesterday at the launch um minister sapone and her officials outlined that there will be an implementation plan put in place from may 2019 and that's really welcome that's something that we had called for along with many colleagues in the sector because um a policy is only as good as the paper it's written on what we need to see is, uh, you know, a commitment to implement and invest in this. And one of the other things that we noted yesterday, given that this is a 10-year plan, this isn't going to be just down to this government to implement it. We need to uh, see investment from this government, but from um, successive governments to invest in the the plan over its lifetime. Otherwise, we won't see the the number of great initiatives in it um, implemented by 20.
1: uh, and you say that the most significant commitment of all in this strategy is a commitment uh, to bring about an end to child poverty
4: yes and um, there's a big focus in the strategy on um child poverty. obviously, we have um a child poverty target that 's part of the national po- uh, children and young people 's policy framework um and you know we 're meant to lift a hundred thousand children out of uh, consistent poverty by 2020. But I suppose what this does is really kind of this strategy, first five, actually puts in place some of the building blocks to ensure that our very young children will be lifted out of that poverty. One of the things it does is put in place a kind of DASH model, um, the same way that our schools have a DASH model, is putting a DASH model in place for early learning settings. Um, And one of the other big important things that we see in this strategy is um, the steps to alleviate food poverty. So, um children under six, about ten percent of them one in ten um, suffer from food poverty, and that is slightly higher than mm. the rest of the population so one of the the commitments in first five is to provide a hot meal for for very young children um and we know that by providing a hot meal it means that children are getting um nutrition, they're getting quality food. It has to be all of those things as well but that is committed to in the strategy and yeah. that will happen both in um, early learning settings but also um, in the early years of primary school as well.
1: Well, everybody can identify with that uh, no matter what you're doing today. I'm sure it's very easier to do it uh, if, if you've had a hot meal rather than trying to function on an empty tummy. Uh, but there are very important aspects to the development of all of tomorrow's people, uh, education but play as well.
4: Yes, play. We were delighted to see a right to play um, front and centre in the strategy. And um, There was a consultation undertaken um, by Imelda Coyne in Trinity with three to five-year-olds and that informed the strategy and Imelda spoke yesterday at the launch about that. And One of the big things that children talked about was the fact that they like to play. They like to play outdoors. Um, one little boy had said... Um, oh, can you fix the weather because I hate when I'm stuck indoors and I can't go outside and play. So, you know, that is something that's really important. And children learn through play. I think that's something that we have to recognise and is recognised in the strategy. We've been saying it for a long time, but it's the way that children interact with each other. It's the way that they interact with adults Um, and it's the way that they learn about the environment around them. So it is really, um, it's a lovely thing to see in this strategy.
1: Yeah, and that there would be support for county councils in providing areas for them to play in, but I suppose the most important thing of all is imagination.
4: Yes, and I suppose what we want to see are communities, sustainable communities that are designed to actually um, ensure that children have places to play that's, children have places to go um, and learn and you know I suppose there's uh, only yesterday um, Healthy Ireland uh, initiative of the Department of Health they launched um, a Healthy Ireland initiative in our local libraries so, you know, I think these are all joined up things and that's one of the really important things about First Five is that it is a whole of government approach mm. that isn't just seen as, you know, within the remit of the Department of Children and Youth Affairs. A lot of different departments have a role to play and I think that was evident at the launch yesterday. And as you, say, as, well. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes.
1: as you say, it goes into health uh, exactly. as well. Yeah, uh, As you say, it goes into health as well and uh, that uh, extends from before the child is born uh, into early childhood.
4: Yes, and that's really important. One of the things that we would have been looking for is a, a you know, um, interaction with the public health nurse before the child is even born. You know, to give the mother the information that she needs, um, and and to ensure that she. Uh Starts building that relationship of, of trust with with um, the health professionals before the baby even arrives. That's really important because we know that that gives children the best start in life. Um, one of the things that uh, Minister Harris yesterday announced was that there will mm. be a development of a you know, a, a, a child health workforce. And that is something that we really welcome. And he did talk about how it will have to link in with slantia care, which is obviously... Um, a cross-party report that was produced um, where everyone signed up to try and put together a roadmap for universal healthcare and the rollout of that so these will all have to link in with existing policies that's very clear but i think you know um certainly in terms of health that was one of the key things that we welcomed there was a big focus on mental health as well which i think is really important both mm-hmm. for children and um there's going to be screening for anti- or for postnatal depression for, for new mothers, because I think that that is something that, that you know, really impacts on the child in their earliest days. And, it, you know, to have a screening pro- programme in place will really help um you know families cope with that and I suppose the sports for parents are in there as well that's something else that was very important not just the parental
1: Mm. uh, I know Regina Doherty was promising uh, that there'd be hot meals uh, available for children uh, 7,200 from uh, next year as part of a a pilot Uh, and all of this costs money Uh, I I gather one of uh, the more expensive parts of uh, the plan are the commitments uh, towards education uh, preschool education but also uh, the idea that the cost of uh, childcare would be reduced for parents through state uh, subsidization.
4: Yes, so obviously we have the affordable childcare scheme which is doing some of that already. Um yesterday the the government announced that they will um try aim to reduce fees or limit fees for parents and that is really welcome but of course that will all take you know substantial investment um you know not only by subsidising the fees, but also investment in early year settings themselves. We know that they need to be sustainable. We need to ensure that there are enough places for children to go. Um, And we know in rural areas, for example, that there's not always an early year setting, that sometimes um, people are reliant on child One of the really important things that we would welcome is that um, all Uh, people working, all professionals working with children um, will have to be regulated and registered with TUSLA and there's also a kind of emphasis on having a graduate-led workforce Mm -hmm. so that um, 50% of the the workforce in early year settings will have to um, have a degree. And that's really welcome because that will obviously start to influence how the, the settings work and the quality um, of that, the care. Yeah, <laughs> and the yeah, quality yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. um, we want higher quality care for our, our young children, and that applies to childminders as well. They Very will good. also need to have a, you know, a minimum qualification. So I think that these are all really important, progressive. Um, actions that have been outlined, but what we need to see now is the investment and how they will be implemented
0: into the future.
1: sirsha thank you indeed. Sirsha Brady, Legal and Policy Director with the Children's Rights Alliance.
0: Michael Reed,
1: Reed on LMFM. no sorry, but Brexit uh, again, because uh, there's up to 150 programmes that need to be protected in uh, the event of Brexit under north-south cooperations that are already in place. This is to do with things like getting a cataract removed in the north or just crossing the border, for that matter, or bringing tourism to both sides of the border, getting a, a job, perhaps, based on the qualifications that you have on one side of the border in the other jurisdiction Uh, and uh, they're all mapped out in a document that was prepared by British uh, officials at the request of the EU negotiator Michel Barnier at the beginning of all of this process. Uh, The European Ombudsman Emily O'Reilly is calling for that document to be published now that has the support of many people including our next guest Declan Brannock, who's a Fianna Fáil TD for Loud and Vice Chair of the Oireachtas Joint Committee on the implementation of the Good Friday Agreement. Good morning to you Declan. Now, this is obviously uh, has a, a significant impact on the Good Friday Agreement or at least that's the concern uh, but your call uh, is in line with Emily O'Reilly's the Taoiseach Leo Vratker obviously supports this as well as does Fianna Fáil, uh, and indeed Sinn Féin. Uh, it's not too often you're in agreement with Sinn Féin. Is Mary Lou Macdonald still suing you?
3: Uh,
5: I'm not sure whether well, she is or she isn't, but uh, we can deal with that later if you wish to, okay. Michael. Uh, the core subject here this morning is the issue of the publication of this key report and you rightly point out that uh, they identified 150 areas um, uh, where the risks were assessed, particularly in relation to uh, the importance of the Good Friday Agreement and most importantly, the economy of the island and its interaction from a north-south basis. Um, In fact, uh, I understand even though the report hasn't been published that it it, it sets out how dependent north-south cooperation is on EU membership, uh, both by Ireland and the UK. And in in that respect, I think it is timely uh, that, report should be published because I think in in an independent fashion uh, seeing it as it was commissioned uh, by the UK mm. uh, uh, will identify where the major strains will happen to our economy.
1: Do you think it will uh, make think- people think differently?
5: I, I do and yeah. uh, I, I believe that there is a groundswell starting to realise particularly in trade uh, both in the north of Ireland and indeed in the UK uh, uh, who are saying, look at you know, segregation from Europe without uh, mm. some form of customs union and trade arrangements uh, will be to, to detriment and will set uh, the economies of both islands back.
1: Do you think it puts into context what Karen Bradley was saying yesterday that there will be customs checks and she's even suggested uh, that uh, there's a threat to the common travel area? Uh,
5: I... I, I firmly believe that all of that has been underpinned in a sovereign agreement called the Good Friday uh, Agreement. We have a Good Friday Implementation Committee and this is my belief, firstly, and I have called, uh, Mm. that that document would be published and discussed by the Good Friday. Okay, well the Northern
1: Secretary is saying that it would be thrown into doubt. Uh, She's also saying that the single electricity market uh, could fall apart as well.
5: Yeah, well you, you called it a list of things and you mentioned mm. cataracts. Yeah. The reality is that the the impacts on trade be it a slowing down of movement of goods, and I've this in the past on your programme, uh, 15 euro yeah. for every hour, every uh, tonne is held mm. up. Uh, trade, you, know, we, we, you mentioned uh, human health, which is probably the most important, but the whole issue of animal health, mm. uh, the, the, the setting up of the board falls to Northern Ireland tourism and making sure that we market the island uh, as a single entity could be in danger. But as I've said on your programme many times before, that we all think of everything on the ground. We don't think of the, the issues of movement of water, Mm. the environment and indeed...
1: What about the Ishka Baha? Uh, Because uh, apparently (sighs) uh, that's what people are going north of the border for now to avail of uh, bargains. 65 million euro went north uh, in uh, the course of uh, the last year, most of it on alcohol
5: but sure, Michael, I've been saying that for a long, long time, the need for, uh, you know, I don't want to be... Uh, mm. people. Ordinary people vote with their pockets. Uh, that sort of trade, uh, if you like, does affect the local... Uh, shops and that's to be regretted but unfortunately if there's a difference in price that will happen but I mean one of the big issues that would centre around this report would be the whole issue of the, the uh, preventing of fraud and the criminality to which I keep referring to which are the where, where the massive Exodus is You somebody going across the border who feels they can get a bargain and they do get a bargain in drink and there's no question mm. about that, the difference in it but also the major suspect uh, uh, around sometimes the quality of this particular product Okay. Particularly if it's been dealt with illicitly, but look at mm. the key issue here. You're right
1: is, in Sainsbury's, though, so it's probably all right. Well, I mean, that's
5: I don't uh, deal in Sainsbury's, so yeah. I, I wouldn't oh. know. But I could just simply say that this report will deal with issues around, for example, recognition of you know the professional trades, mm-hmm. uh, you know how cross-border workers would be uh, dealt with, and how how. And Karen Bradley is right to say horror concerns, but the reality is that I think people have got to get to—that if we don't pass this particular agreement, uh, this particular proposal, the DUP have got to come out of of, of that mindset that they're in. The the, the whole issue of 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 uh, um, the constitutional issue has been settled in the Good Friday Agreement. We can argue the cows come home about United Ireland. I keep saying. Mm that that's a constitutional issue that will come in its own time but it's about unity of people not land, unity, of okay. trade and how we can progress for our people and particularly our young people on, on, on the island.
1: Okay, I heard, listen just, I just, just, just if I can just cut across you just for a second in yeah. the minute that I have, can I just ask you about this dispute that you have with Mary Lou Macdonald and I don't want to ask you about the context of your tweet uh, for the legal uh, concerns uh, that uh, may surround that, uh, but uh, there are reports uh, that you've received legal correspondence from her and you've said uh, that you stand over the comments. Uh, is this Something that's at loggerheads between the two of you now and will end up in the courts?
5: Uh, I don't don't think so. I think it's about the interpretation of what was meant. And as you correctly point out, uh, this is a legal process that will take its course. Uh, there's certainly a difference in the interpretation. Uh, and I'm sure Mary Lou has one and I have another. As far as I'm concerned, um, it is uh, about... Uh, having a totally different opinion in relation to what was said and the interpretation of that, and that would be a matter uh, hopefully that will be avoided in the litigation process but uh, I'm not at liberty to comment uh, on that uh, as obviously that's uh, between uh, hmm. legal legal teams. At this no,
1: point. And, and, and thanks for uh, addressing the question in the way you did. And thank you indeed for joining us as always. Uh, that's Fianna Fáil, TD for Loud, Declan Brannock.
6: Michael Reed on LMFM. Good morning, Michael. You'd think we'd be sick talking about it already Brexit. (laughs) hmm. But still, lots coming in from uh, listeners. Jimmy, text in to say that he feels Brexit will see the rich become poorer and see the struggling working class get out of the poverty trap and feels that Ireland needs to follow and leave the EU. Oh, he
1: means in the UK, is yes. It? Okay, Yes. Right. OK, I'm not sure why he thinks that would be the case.
6: Don't know, it was a text, so yeah. okay. I didn't okay. chat mm. Sean from Drogheda says, the last thing Ireland wants or needs is a no Brexit deal. It would be a disaster on so many fronts, Sean thinks, yet those living in Britain don't seem to care.
1: Mm. Well, some of them do. I don't think there's uh, many in Ireland, in the Republic, uh, that would uh, disagree with that particular view, but there's uh, plenty of would seem, uh, north of the border and uh, across uh, the Irish Sea that would disagree.
6: Um, Sheila says that it's telling that those involved in business in the north want this deal to go through, mm. even though the DUP are doing their best to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm. You'd wonder at this stage who the DUP are representing because the majority of the people in the North voted to remain.
1: Mm, Yeah, well, uh, the majority did. uh, And indeed, uh, I think the suggestion, certainly the suggestion from the Irish government and it would seem from many business leaders in the North is uh, that if it was uh, to go to this backstop situation, which the politicians say they hope never happens, but if it was to go to that backstop situation and Great Britain was to pull out of the customs union, but Northern Ireland was to stay in, then Northern Ireland would have its cake and eat it too because it would be able to... Mm. with Europe and the rest of Great Britain.
6: Uh, Michael Jack was in touch and says, do all politicians in this country agree on this Brexit deal? Surely someone disagrees with it, but I've heard no, I've heard no one south of the border who doesn't like this deal.
1: Hmm.
6: So that's his comment. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> uh, <another> well, <laughs> I,
1: think, I, I think actually all the politicians would beg to differ and they would say, we all hate this, we don't want Brexit at all. But this is the best case, worst case scenario.
6: Yeah, and he is talking about Mm. the deal. That's what Mm. he is talking about. Uh, Another listener was in touch to say Sinn Féin have let us down again. Maybe if they took up their seats and represented the people in Westminster, that things might work in favour of Ireland.
1: Well, I take it he didn't vote for them because I think a lot of the people who did vote for them would be feeling let down if they took up seats in Westminster because uh, they did campaign on the basis that they wouldn't.
6: Uh, Theresa says that uh, many, Mary, oh no, sorry, it's Mary. She's talking about Theresa May. Mary thinks that Helen McEntee and other politicians can say what they want, uh, that the Brexit deal, as far as she is concerned, is dead in the water. Theresa May hasn't a hope of hell of getting it through. She feels they're better off going back to the drawing board rather than dragging out the inevitable. Well,
1: I don't know. There's a lot of important people putting an awful lot of time and effort into all yes. of this. Uh, God knows you'd want a crystal ball, but uh, there is a lot of merit in what she says. Yes, anyway. Mairead yeah, feels yeah, yeah, that it's yeah. only a
6: matter Uh, of when, not Mm. if, that Mm. Theresa May is given the boot that she has lost Mm. the support of the DUP Mm. and her days are numbered. I think
1: there's probably a lot of truth in both of those comments uh, but uh, it's a question of going through the motions uh, and uh, there's several steps you have to take to get to the end or you have to climb to the mountain to get to the top. Uh, What's at the top is unknown at the moment. Uh, It could be that uh, the United Kingdom stays in the European Union Uh, but in order to do that you've got to fail in this process you've got to go back to a general election then Mm. possibly go on to another referendum and so on and then the people will vote and say look just too hard and we can't do it uh, but maybe they're just the things that need to happen before you can get to that stage.
6: Tom thinks that a second vote on Brexit is the only solution considering how many who voted the first time round didn't really know what they were voting for.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of truth
6: in that. So he mm. thinks that maybe the outcome would be different mm. although I know that there's a different beg to differ about mm. that they think the outcome would be the same. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Moving on then uh, in relation to the five uh, the strategy five years Years for children. mm, mm. Uh, A listener says it's all very well supporting children for the first five years of their lives, but what are they going to do after that? Uh, You know, when they Mm. are age five or older. Another listener says that maybe the government should start by trying to put a roof over the heads of all children.
3: Ready to pop the question?
6: so many children who don't have mm. a place to call home. Yeah,
1: well, I, mean, I think it is uh, one of uh, the interesting things about uh, this document. It is aspirational, of course. It's a policy document uh, and time will tell if it is funded and implemented. Uh, but there are certainly principles uh, and the objective is to bring about an end to child poverty yes. uh, and uh, the uh, health and education of children would be very important. That would lead undoubtedly to better lives after the first five years as the first caller asked.
6: Joanne says that she thinks it's encouraging to see there being a focus on children and families. She says it's hard Uh, being a parent in Ireland today, that many couples aren't having big families, even if they'd like to, because of the pressures financially, that you're juggling so many things and it's very tough when you're paying a big mortgage.
1: Very tough. Uh, It's uh, the equivalent of another mortgage to pay for childcare quite often. uh, And uh, the government uh, is saying that over this 10-year period, they'll bring that cost down by subsidising it.
6: John was in touch uh, yesterday, phoned in just in relation to the comments regarding the Fine Gael Ardèche. John says he watched it and never heard Leo say anything too critical about Fianna Fáil. Ah. All that was said was that the Fianna Fáil front bench was hard to deal with. <laughs> That's all, says John. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, John. He says mm. that a listener was in touch uh, saying, look after the low paid, you know, in relation to the raising the tax bans. And he says, the reason why you can't look after the low paid, there's about 800000 and low pay Gordon to John, and he's saying they they aren't paying ta- tax because they're they're paying you know they've such low mm, wages, mm, so they're not mm. in the tax net at all. So saying that they weren't getting tax relief is wrong.
1: Okay, well, nice to be hearing from uh, the Fine Gael Press Office. Thanks for that, John.
6: <laughs> Catherine was listening into your interview with Jim Wells, and she says she just gets a pain in the neck listening to him that's on the, the radio. D-U-P-M-L-A that's right, who was and i just wondering yesterday. why yeah. you have him on so often. It's a mystery to me, says Catherine from Navin. Uh, Paddy says well, he
1: reflects the view that's uh, opposing a, a lot of the things that a lot of the people in this country would like to happen.
6: That's right. Paddy, also from Navin, phoned in. And Paddy was listening to that interview as well. And he says, it's just hard to understand where Mr. Wells is coming from. It's like the tail wagging the dog. If he's so into the domination of Britain, why is he in Northern Ireland? Why is he living there at all? He should move across the water. Ireland is Ireland, after all, from one end of the country to the other. Oh, God, I hope and Jim Wells isn't listening to he that. He is going yeah? against mm. the will of the people in Northern Ireland who want to remain in the EU. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all, St. Okay. Patty. Okay, well
1: Jim Wells will tell you, Northern Ireland is Northern Ireland. It's a state called Northern Ireland It's part of the United Kingdom and it wasn't a Northern Ireland vote, it was a UK vote and know, the UK I voted know. to leave. <laughs> I
6: know, I mm. Therese emailed in, she was listening, uh, she's commenting on your interview with Jeopardy Brendan Smith. Hmm. And she, that's TV. right, that's mm-hmm. right. And she says, uh, it's depressing listening to the Jeopardy talk about bad leadership when he was and still is part of a failed political party structure that devastated this country for decades decades, resigned generations to leave the country and millions into the dire state of poverty and mess existing in the country at present. Fianna Fáil destroyed this country and she says, and now you have to listen to him on the radio, given out about bad leadership.
1: Okay, is that the Fine Gael press office again? <laughs> <laughs> take that as a political point, I take it. Yeah. It's not
6: actually it was an email uh, in, but yeah, anyway.
1: Okay, well I take it it wasn't uh, a Fianna Fáil supporter anyway.
6: And finally, I'll go to Anne. Not on anything we were discussing, Michael, but Anne rang in to ask for people to check the date on their calendar. She says it's only November 20th and one of her neighbours already has the Christmas tree up. Mm. Michael, what is going on, she's saying. On the television, television there's nothing but ads... All of the stuff is in the supermarket. It's just gone crazy. But to see Christmas trees up now, we'll be sick of them by the time Christmas comes around. Yeah,
1: I think they spent about 20 minutes talking about that on the television last night. and That was enough for me. Just <laughs> the first two minutes was enough for me. But anyway, we'll leave there. Uh, right, we'll All leave right, leave the, the last that. word with Anne. Thanks, Anne. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight.
0: Michael Reed on
1: on LMFM. Now we're going to talk about the ongoing criminal feud in Drogheda with uh, the Chief Superintendent in Louth, Christy Mangan, who's come into the studio to speak to us uh, this morning. And thank you indeed uh, for doing that. I'm sure there's uh, an awful lot of people who have an awful lot of questions uh, that they would like to be answered. But before we talk about what's happening in Drogheda, a very serious incident in Dundalk overnight, it would seem, whereby a female Garda's car was attacked outside of our home in Dundalk Uh, 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 the Star reporting today that a brick was put through the windscreen of uh, this particular vehicle and then the car set alight what more can you tell us about that
7: yes Michael it is a a very sinister development in that um, a member of of En Garde they had their car um, damaged and then petrol accelerant was used to set it on fire so the matter is under investigation uh, as regards um, a motive for the attack and uh, we are carrying out an in-depth investigation in the Dock Garda station with re- in, in regard uh, in order to arrest and, and deal with the people that we uh, suspect may be involved in this incident.
1: And to put it in guard terminology, is there a definite line of inquiry?
7: We have a number of lines of inquiry as regards as to why this may have happened and we're following up on with them at the moment.
1: OK, petrol accelerants, uh, one of the methods of attacking people in Drogheda in recent weeks and months, for that matter. Uh, in your own words, uh, can you tell us what's going on?
7: Well, basically what we have here at the moment, and it, it's, it's something that we have commented upon for a number of months, particularly at our joint police and committee meetings. Um, I mean, if you, if you research my own statements from very, very earlier on this year, I have said that we have had a considerable upsurge in the incident of um, drug intimidation in particular. So we have investigated a number of those incidents and, and, and the incidents are not, um, you know, they're not alone happening in, in Drogheda. They're also happening in RD, They're also happening in Dundalk. So we have uh, carried out investigations in relation to those incidents Um they are difficult to, to, to deal with on the basis that the people who have been targeted um, n- some are involved in uh, dealing with uh, drug dealers. And that by its very nature is is very difficult because some have got involved in mm. taking drugs.
1: Does that mean some are not?
7: Uh, well, obviously their families are not. Mm. Their families. You know what I mean, they're, they're very, very... In, I mean,
1: Families who are being asked to pay off drug absolutely, deaths Absolutely. we've been hearing so, this. I mean, mm-hmm. I,
7: I want to be clear you know the families are, you know, they're by, behind their siblings in 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 endeavouring to extract them from a very very difficult situation, and we're very mindful that it is a very difficult situation for the families. So we have certainly highlighted this uh, incidents mm. uh, that have been taking place, and we've been very forthright in in what 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 our advice is. Um, as regards the current dispute that is ongoing between criminals within Drogheda uh, and what we have is two groupings who have decided to attack each other and it's basically down to controlling uh, their turf as regards drug dealing. Uh, some of them have lost considerable assets and when that happens uh, invariably they move down to the smaller dealers and they target them for the profits. Can you
1: put a, a number on the amount of uh, attempts that there have been to take somebody's life in the last six months?
7: There have been a number of attempts uh, to take people's lives. I can think of three offhand yes, that you
1: couldn't argue with, really, in my mind. Uh, would you say, say there's more than that?
7: I would say the three that have reported to us. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a long time uh, acting, uh, I'm, I'm a long time as a policeman, and I'm quite aware that not every incident will be reported. Only a certain amount will, will be reported. But we've, we've had, uh, as is well and widely reported, uh, a, a man that was shot a number of times in this town. Very, very lucky to escape with his life. That matters under investigation. We also most recently had uh, uh, a person who was taken against our will.
1: And can you tell us what happened uh, in terms of the Guardi bringing about an end to that Attempted murder because it's reported that you arrived at a time when that man had a gun in his mouth.
7: Well, I have to be very, very careful in that. That matters under investigation. And we have, have had, we've arrested a number of people. But I am satisfied that the actions of the Guardi that night undoubtedly saved that man's life. And that, if, was, I mean,
1: that, that, that was the second attempted murder. Absolutely. That was it a third yeah. one then?
7: Yes. Uh, so... I, I just can't go into the details of all the investigations mm, okay. because they are very, very active investigations in which people have been arrested and there may be further arrests. Mm.
1: Uh, is it right to be amazed that there's so much violence, so much weaponry in a, a town the size of Drado? We've been talking on the radio a, a, about how someone could walk into a housing estate and start shooting at someone else's house, uh, albeit... Uh, something that happens in other areas uh, it's one thing in a place like dublin where the population is 2 million but in a, a town where the population is 40,000 it seems quite incredible
7: the public certainly uh, have a right to be surprised and amazed at what is going on unfortunately as police people and investigators we've seen an upsurge over particularly in the in the past 12 to 18 months of uh, you know drug dealers Uh, we have targeted them we have set up operations uh, in which we've searched uh, their premises we've taken considerable resources off people and I mean considerable resources recently in this town we we seized 270,000 euro in cash that's a considerable resource Is Drogheda
1: a wash with drugs?
7: I would say that yes there's a considerable drug problem, a wash could be maybe a bit strong uh, Michael but I'm certainly not naive enough to say that uh, there is a consider- there, there certainly is a considerable drug problem, not alone in Drogheda but in in a, in a lot of towns in Ireland.
1: Is that a policing failure?
7: Drugs, is it? You know, I mean, when you're approaching the investigation of drugs and drug offences, there's two parts to it. The first part is investigation, where we become aware of a problem, and we invest resources. I have a certain amount of resources that I can invest in policing in, in loud and I have been very very forthright. Some people would say blunt. Uh, as regards the insufficient budget that I've had and I've made it be you known I've said it uh, on, a lar- on a number of occasions maybe people get fed up listening to this fellow given out about his resources when a major crime takes place um, you know people unless they're very involved with the family they don't really know what the ins and outs are invest- of an investigation so, but when somebody unfortunately loses their life through you know foul means they end up being murdered or seriously injured. It takes considerable resources from my uh, budget to investigate it. This division, unfortunately, has this year, we, we've had five murder investigations, which is considerable. And I think uh, it is probably the highest outside Dublin. So that brings us problems and that impacts greatly on my budget and on my resources. Because when somebody loses their life uh, under the European Convention on Human Rights, we're obliged to provide a speedy and professional investigation in order to ensure that a matter is investigated thoroughly and And we bring the perpetrators before court.
1: Has it compromised you, though, and your ability to police uh, in uh, a way that you've been accused of? uh, Because, uh, as you know, Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan, there is an accusation that you're not investigating complaints, that complaints are brought to you, that people are dealing drugs. But when the complaints are brought to you, you already know about these drug dealers because you've done a deal with these drug dealers and the deal is that the dealers tell you who they sell the deals to. You turn a blind eye and then arrest the kids who are buying small amounts of drugs.
7: I listened to your recent uh, radio programme in relation to that matter and I must say um, I, I, I genuinely think that it tarnished a large number of Gardaí and, and in fact it tarnished every member of Gardy Chicana in, in, in the Loud division because, number one, I believe it was inaccurate. Uh, if anybody, and I'll put this out, out there straight, if anybody has any information in relation to Gardaí colluding with drug dealers, you have a number of options open to you. The number one option is to go to GSUC. Make a complaint to GSUC. Uh, they're the independent Uh, complaints body. There was
1: a complaint made to GSOC, was there not, in relation to similar methods being used on an informant in R.D. when millions of euro of heroin and cocaine were discovered under floorboards in a warehouse in R.D.? Well,
7: that was, I think, a considerable period of time before since i arrived here.
1: I'm not disputing that. It certainly was. Mm -hmm. But it was a similar form of policing at the heart of that accusation, rightly or wrongly.
7: I'm aware of a complaint been been made at that time, but I don't. Know, I actually don't know what the results of the GSOC investigation was because I wasn't involved in it. I'm, I'm not aware of that. But I'll go back to your 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 um, reporting last week. I mean, people are fearful, but I think if if you constantly tell people there's a fear, there's a fear, you know, uh, you know, it, it has a huge impact on the community. I I've conducted a community impact assessment here, along with the investigation that I'm doing. And that has told me exactly what is going on wi- within the communities and how they're feeling. And we have spoken to a considerable number of people as regards that. But if I, if I go to <coughs> some of the assertions that were made last week, and one of them was that there was a house going to be attacked and that we were told that of the particular night it was going to happen. That is not factual. That is not factual. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are aware of people who are threatened and they're threatened by criminals who say that they will carry out uh, a petrol bomb, that they will attack them at some stage, but they don't give them specific details. And with that that particular instance, and I have this, uh, it's it's, it's Mm. recorded electronically, we had a patrol in that estate 13 minutes before that attack took place. We responded to the call and we were there in less than seven minutes. We actually put out the fire.
1: And the Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, said that there was warning in advance. The family had pleaded for help, but nobody was there at the time of the attack.
7: As I said, we did not have specific information as as regards when this was going to take place. We have dealt with a considerable number of families who indicate to us that they are under threat. I cannot provide... I mean, I live in the real world. I cannot provide 24-7 uh, protection outside people's addresses. There are a number of people who feel threatened and have been threatened. What we have uh, put in place are very, very detailed and active patrols and they are calling in, in into the estates. They're there, uh, heavily armed and even over over this weekend when, when we had our patrols out we gleaned significant intelligence by stopping people who are coming into the area and a number of these are from Dublin as well. So we are taking proactive action as regards people making complaints about threats but unless we have specific detail that a house is going to be attacked in a three or four hour period of time or whatever it is very very difficult for me to leave a patrol car outside a house when we have people in rd people in Ome, and other areas screaming out for a police service so I, I, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of reality so here. You,
1: you dispute what was said.
7: I absolutely dispute what was said. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I, I, I'd like to move on or back to the assertion then about um, members Using of the government. informants. Gertr- yeah. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me.
1: Can, can, can you tell us what your informant policy is, or if you have we, one?
7: We have a, a covert human intelligence system. And that deals with uh, how, how we actually interact. It's a policy. How we actually interact with um people who are involved in in you know in criminal acts mm. so that's that is very very uh, tight it's overseen by a judge for regular, regulatory purposes so they are dealt with on a very very formal basis so for somebody to come in uh, and say you know I mean and, and I'm going to quote mm. and, and I'll give you a copy of the, the transcript if you wish mm. but I'm going to quote here uh, and this was said by yourself michael There's a very strong rumour that Gardy did didn't arrest or bust the main dealers because the main drug dealers were telling the names of the young fellas that were selling drugs to. Then the guards went out and busted the young fellas and left whoever was the big shots to continue on without any fears. Now, they're very, very serious allegations Mm. and I totally refute them Mm. because I deal with the covert human intelligence system on a a daily basis. And I don't operate in rumour or innuendo. I operate in absolute fact and Evans, and that type of an assertion that's left if it's left float up there out there in the stratosphere is extremely unfair and and, and and unfair is a very mild word I'm using here today. It's extremely unfair to those members who are out there on a daily basis and and I'd have to remind people this division has probably the highest number of guards who've been murdered in the line of duty. Five have been murdered since the the since this, since this guard organisation uh, was founded. And me- recently we had two members in Garda Ghana, Tony Golden and Adrian Donoghue, murdered, uh, you know, I- I out there, out and about, doing what they need to do. Recently I had a very young female guard, I met her in the station one morning and she was also been the subject of a very serious assault downtown where she had tufts of her hair pulled out. And to say, you know, that the guards are involved in colluding with drug dealers. You know, I mean, I think it's very unfair to say the least and it certainly has tarnished the reputation of the members. I, on a very regular basis, we deal with informants. We make sure the system is adhered to because there's only one system in town and it is the CHIS system which deals with informants. So... Did you? Do, do you uh, and you, you're,
1: <coughs> <coughs> you're refuting what I have said as well Absolutely. as what uh, as well Absolutely. as what a Munster has said. And no, no,
7: Michael, hold on. If you are a Munster, and I, mm. I'm putting this out to you here okay. now, as uh, soon as you're finished here, mm. come down to the station, okay? And I'll invite anybody who has evidence or information in relation to it uh, to provide it to me. Mm. I'll have it fully investigated. In fact, I'll tell you here now. I will contact my assistant commissioner in Sligo. And I'll ask him to appoint a senior officer from outside the division Hmm. to investigate any of those allegations because I'm not going to leave them float. I can't leave them float because we have to protect and serve the people of Louth.
1: If if I'm not mistaken, what I was relaying was a a perception and reports that have been made to me and Imelda Munster was separately uh, outlining reports that have been made to her. Do you accept that there is a perception that this is a method of policing that is being used in Drahada.
7: But, Michael, if, if I came in here and, and said to you, Michael, there's a perception that you have done ABC, hmm. would you be happy with that? I don't think you would. I mean, it, it would sully your reputation if I came in here and said, Michael, there's a perception that you were involved hmm. in ABC, when I don't have a iota of evidence. I mean, I have to, if there's wrongdoing, we call it out absolutely no problem in the world that will be dealt with very strongly and I do deal with matters very very strongly in relation to in in, in discipline and in this instance I genuinely think it's grossly unfair that that uh, is left float out there and public representatives have actually spoken to me about it and they were quite surprised of that allegation being left there so I would be very you know forthright in saying uh, I certainly dispute it absolutely, but anybody with evidence in relation to it I'm inviting them, come you don't have to come to me, you can go to GSOC, or you can come to me and I will arrange for a senior officer to take a statement off of you and any allegations will be fully investigated That that and that's a promise
1: Chief Superintendent, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to us locally, including the people who are at the heart of this feud this morning perhaps you'd like to conclude by speaking to them
7: well, what I certainly would, would uh, like to say to the people of Drogh- Drogheda, um I have a comprehensive policing plan in place and it involves a number of strands and I'm very, very conscious of the, the impact this has on the community because when we resolve this matter, and we will, we will resolve it, we have to deal with the community afterwards. And I have a, a very, very good community policing uh, unit. Uh, Sergeant Donald McGivern is in it and he has great great interactions with the local community. So I want to ensure that we don't damage that long term because we have to make sure that our, our excellent community links can continue. So we have a very comprehensive uh, policing plan to target the people who are involved. And ultimately, when criminal groups implode, it gives us opportunities but invariably, they end up uh, either getting very seriously injured or they go to jail. That's as simple as that. that. That's a fact of life. So we have a considerable number of armed checkpoints in the area. Um, we have carried out a, a, a number of intelligence-led searches. I mean, before Christmas here last year in Drogheda, um, and it probably didn't get a lot of press, there was 12 kilos of cocaine seized. That is a considerable amount of cocaine in a small town. Uh, and when you have that, you have problems. So I also took, uh, and an I'm not too popular over this, but I took the, uh, a step to cancel annual leave. And that that's a significant uh, move when you tell people they can't take their leave and, you know, it wouldn't be popular. But anyway, so I also have involved our national units, uh, the National Bureau of Criminal mm-hmm. Investigation and the Criminal Justice Bureau. So we are continuing to target people and in particular to target their resources. We've taken cars, we've taken property, we've taken money and we will continue to do so. So what I want to tell the people of Draha that we will protect and serve you and we will be out there front and centre to take these people on and we won't let them take control of communities.
1: Thank you indeed for coming in to us uh, this morning. It's much uh, appreciated and uh, we thank you for your time as well. Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan, uh, who is the Chief Superintendent uh, for the Louth Division.
0: Michael Reed
1: on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing under new bylaws, which will be introduced uh, from May, uh, speed limits uh, will be reduced locally in quite a, a number of areas. We'll talk about this now with Labour Party councillor Paul Bell, who's come in to us uh, this morning. Uh, before we talk about that, morning, actually, uh, maybe we could just reflect on what we've been hearing from the Chief Superintendent, uh, because this is a, an issue that is obviously of such concern to so many people. People are very anxious, I think. Uh, what what did you think of what the Chief well, Superintendent I
2: have to say. Uh, the Chief Superintendents interviewed Michael and I think it's one of the most important interviews that was ever held in the studio uh, because the people of Draught are deeply concerned not just of one area, of the town are deeply concerned about the activity of feuding drug trafficking, uh, the Garda intervention into that matter uh, how that's been handled and I think that the Chief Superintendents commentary this morning gives me confidence as a public representative and should restore confidence to the communities which Tungara, Corner and public representatives are serving. Uh, I have to say and I thought it was very honestly put I was quite taken aback with Deputy Munster's commentary last week because what was being inferred and I think mm. not to put words in the Chief Superintendent's mouth is that uh, there was a degree of collusion going on with people involved in the drugs trade. Well, it, members it, of it's
1: what people have been saying. Okay. People have said it to me uh, and yeah. the Chief Superintendent uh, repeated, uh, quoted yeah. what I, I said from a transcript that he had yes. uh, and it's been said to Imelda Munster uh, and I know that it's been said to others. Has it not been said to you?
2: Uh, absolutely not. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I well, I want the Chief,
2: Chief Superintendent uh, yeah. assured
1: us this morning that it's not the case. Anyway. Okay,
2: well, yeah. but we need to go forward in this because you see, when you're policing in a democracy, mm. it's intelligence-led policing. So, you have to rely on the population to give information to the the authorities. My deepest concern about what was happening last week was that people who were prepared to give information, even informally or confidentially, would not continue to do that. And I would have to call on Deputy Munster at this stage to basically make the complaint or the report that she has to GSOC, because this matter has to be clarified. I know everybody as a public representative are doing their very best and they're trying to represent their constituencies. But as the Garda has said this morning, Garda chief superintendent said this morning, he's not been behind the door and saying one of his greatest challenges is resources in the policing of our town. OK,
1: and we'll ask him, Elder Munster, to respond Yeah, to yeah that I think that should tomorrow. be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. okay. But you, you feel uh, assured by what the superintendent said he's doing with uh, the limited resources he has. I, I think he's very the, clear about that I think well, the chief, yeah? oh, absolutely, Michael,
2: mm-hmm. and let's be very clear, there's, there's no winners in, in these conversations. It's basically to tell the truth. Uh, what the Chief Superintendent is saying is that he does not have the resources I myself agree that uh, that he doesn't have the resources Uh, and also the fact of life is I've communicated directly to the Garda Commissioner that communication has not been responded to I hope it's under consideration Um, but the policing of this matter and the dealing of this ongoing feud will be a matter that the public and the Garda Siakana can win together Mm. Uh, but you are correct If things are being said that are drawing concerns uh, about the policing or the confidence in policing, then they have to be dealt with. Uh, But I did have serious concerns, especially in light of what was being said last week, but also the understanding that the guards were being um, basically said that they were negligent where they had information an attack would take place and they did nothing to, to prevent that. I have to say I would have a deep concern if, if that was true. Okay, well, And it,
1: it's not true. The Chief Superintendent said it's not true yes. uh, and uh, went some way to uh, explain but what I, happened. But I do
2: believe yeah. that the Chief Superintendent's commentary this morning in, in the studio will give confidence to the public that the garda are doing their very best with the resources that they have. And I do say, Michael, that the interview this morning is of great value, especially to those watching on or directly involved in this matter.
1: OK, let's uh, talk uh, about uh, the speed limits uh, which are to be reduced in many parts uh, of the locality uh, come May 1st next. Uh, and uh, the Coast Road, first of all, uh, out uh, towards fecken via Baltray.
2: Yes, well, there's been a, a, a special speed bylaw passed at yesterday's Loud County Council meeting to implement a, a number of speed mm. reductions in Drogheda, in Mid-Loud, in North County Loud, uh, but uh, and along the term in a long determined Fecken Road, uh, there's been concerns about speeding, especially coming to the junction, mm. uh, at Baltray. Yeah, and uh, it'd be
1: more the Baltray Road, people would refer to it as the Baltray Road yeah, than yeah, the determined Fecken Road.
2: And mm-hmm. basically uh, at, at the junction, uh, there's now um, um, uh, an agreement that that, obviously the speed signs will have to be erected, mm. Well, where they're erected is, is was the was the problem, uh, and that that junction we reduced down to a fifty-kilometre zone. Um, that is important. It's one of the key areas that has been identified uh, as being potentially hazardous and a potential accident black spot. Mm. Remember, Michael, these roads were not meant for the volume of traffic that they now have.
1: This is in the proximity to the Uh, turn turn, into 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 the village. village. As you you cross Mm. the the, the
2: Mm. small humpback bridge. Mm. Well, you can't go
1: very fast there anyway because of the bridge, can you?
2: Michael, it would not be unusual for accidents to take place there where people were going so fast Mm. that they were on the wrong side of the road. Uh, we also have other areas in in, in Drogheda itself Uh, the Mornington Road uh, east of Flow Gas Mm. uh, where people would understand straight stretch of road
1: straight stretch of road yeah,
2: boot to the floor Mm. Uh, people not regarding the fact that they're coming into a built up area and that the road is slightly narrowing Mm. Uh, and that area has now gone from 80 to 60 uh, and uh, please God, those uh, measures will be taken on board by those using the road. And Mm. there was a a couple of very serious accidents there, all speed related, nothing to do with the road quality or Mm. visibility. Uh, Again, the North Road, uh, the reductions there uh, from uh, the North Road uh, coming down to a 80 kilometre zone in one area Mm -hmm. and a 60 kilometre zone in the water under to uh, uh, Lynch's uh, Cross very, very important areas. Again, good straight stretches of road, good road surface. You're out towards Tullyallen, there. Yes, yeah. and people mm. taking risks that they shouldn't be taking. Mm. High speed, not like basically not understanding that there's a lot of pedestrian traffic there, mm. cyclists in particular using those roads, and uh, and these
1: reductions are necessary. Oh, absolutely.
2: You. Yeah. And, and, and fact, in fact, in fairness to most councillors, while they welcome this, uh, they would obviously like to see other areas mm. considered remember this process involves uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland which is TII and also mm. on Corner uh, so there has to be much debate and, and hopefully this will lead mm. to saving lives and the road
1: out of Drogheda to Slane that's to see a reduction as well is it? So yes
2: uh, King Williams, another then good clear straight, straight stretch, of stretch of road man, yes yeah. and, and and again uh, people sometimes feel mm. and maybe we are all guilty of this on the yeah. occasion good straight stretch of road good road surface mm. Uh, and forget the fact that there's a need for a speed reduction in mm. the area or forget that maybe people are driving excessively mm. um, and if a, if, if a hazard a pro, uh, takes place it's difficult to avoid getting mm. into an impact remember too, uh, in yeah. that area you have a lot of foreign people driving, visiting the, the mm. Bruna boyne But
1: a lot of people are, are, are driving that road now, years at that
2: speed because yeah. that's the speed limit yeah. uh,
1: and uh, convince us that it's wrong, why is the speed limit wrong?
2: Uh, well the, the, it is wrong because uh, right. obviously the volume uh, has been the volume of traffic obviously mm. has, has increased mm. uh, but what 's the basis the, for deciding it 's wrong oh the basis of deciding it 's wrong is on the basis of uh, the volume of traffic the speed that mm. has been uh, been detected there remember something michael in some cases, you have people driving eighty kilometres an hour in an eighty mm. kilometer zone, mm. or a
1: hundred. And 100, 100 some people, an hour, and, but mm.
2: some people are then taking the license, and saying, "Well, I'm only, I'm only doing hundred mm. kilometres in an eighty zone." And people oh, are saying, "No, no, no, that's not." Also, by the way, don't forget the ramp, mm, uh, mm. the ramp at Junction Ten from the Tolliano. But is there a
1: scientific basis for?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a, as I understand from the engineers who gave a briefing yesterday, there's a matrix that mm, walked out: okay. volume of traffic, speed of traffic, road surface amount of accidents has been in the area Mm. Uh, and again, these all figure into, well, we need to look at the speed limits. Remember something, Michael, many of the areas examined have been determined to have the correct speed limit.
1: Listen, just very briefly to move to another issue, Uh, parking uh, and indeed uh, an issue that uh, has been in the thorn of the side of yourself and your fellow councillors and Louth County Council, Uh, it might uh, actually mean uh, that Louth County Council will be disbanded, will it?
2: Well, uh, according to, to yesterday, uh, this issue has become...
1: No budget, no council. One, of, Sorry? No budget, no council.
2: No budget, no council, Michael. Absolutely, Absolutely could be gone. Could it happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, if you look what's happened yeah, over... over 20 la- cents an hour. Uh, I think it's more than over 20 cents an hour, yeah, Michael. Yeah. And I think that's a conversation we're looking forward to getting into. Because mm. what's happened here is is that uh, there was proposals to reduce the pay parking, mm. to bring it in line with Dundalk... Uh, the Chief Executive have says, Yes, I, yeah. I've had a let's, consideration. Let's do that the other way around. Yeah, let's do that yeah. the yeah. other way around. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. that's the yeah. conversation you yeah. and I had yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, in fairness to the Chief Executive. And now the
1: councillors uh, are saying, Let's abolish the council.
2: Uh, I don't think the council is saying that, Michael. I haven't heard one of them say that yet. No. The, 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 but the because, effect of what
1: they're saying could be the abolishment of the well, council.
2: Well, i tell you straight up if you look at the vote that took place yesterday about the budget, mm-hmm. the parking is one element of the budget. Yeah, You would see that it's 19 votes against the budget, 7 for. And two absentees, uh, and the issue there basically is we have till next Wednesday to have a conversation how this mm-hmm. matter is going to be addressed. Right. Well, we'll talk about it next Wednesday, I'm looking forward to yeah. it. All right, thank you, thank for you, me, Michael,
1: coming into us uh, this morning, Much Labour appreciate. Party Councillor Paul Bell.
0: Michael Reed, Reed on,
1: on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time of Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there is a number of incidents Garda investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Rodney Hodgkinson of Laytown Station joins us for the report this week, and we begin in Ashburn with a robbery.
8: Yes, Michael. Um, first, of the incident is a robbery which occurred uh, last Wednesday evening, the fourteenth of November, um, at ten past seven in the evening. A lone male um, brandishing a handgun entered the bookies at Frederick Street Ashburn and uh, demanded money and left. Um, he's described as wearing um, a navy jacket, black bottoms, and grey trainers, and he was wearing a motorbike, a motorcycle helmet with a red badge on the front with white writing. We would appeal to anyone who was in um, Frederick Street area at that time. That's about ten past seven last Wednesday evening who may have dashed cam. We know he left on a motorcycle from the scene. And if you will contact Ashburn Garda Station at 01 801 0600.
1: Uh, theft in Drogheda to, to report on next. Yes,
8: Michael. Um, last Thursday night, Friday morning, the 16th of November, at three o'clock, um, we had approximately 200 cylinders of gas stolen from a shop of Mel in Drogheda. Um, we were aware... From CCTV, that the vehicle involved is a white Mercedes Sprinter van, with a roof rack and a ladder on top. It approached the shop from the M1 Retail Park direction at three a.m. and left the shop at three twenty-one, returning in the direction from which it came. Um, now, anyone that may be offered cheap gas, um, contact the Guardian at to please at zero four one nine eight seven four two zero zero.
1: Uh, number of burglaries, the first in Kells.
8: Yeah, yesterday afternoon Michael, um, between 6 o'clock and 7pm we had the total of 4 burglaries in the uh, Kells Old Castle area um, and the Guardian Kells are looking seeking a dark coloured Volkswagen Golf partial registration number 05 MH, that's 05 MH dark coloured Volkswagen Golf or if you were in the Old Castle area or Kells area yesterday, I noticed um, anybody acting suspiciously. We believe there are three males involved, and it's Kells Guardian, 046-928-0820.
1: More burglaries. Uh, this time we're in Laytown.
8: Yes, Michael, unfortunately, another two. Um, last Wednesday night, Thursday morning, the 14th into the 15th, we had two houses burgled at Highfield Housing State in Laytown. Um, anyone who may have seen anything, uh, the Guardian at Laytown, please, at oh four one. Nine eight one three three two zero
1: and another burglary. This one in Navan.
8: Yes, Michael. Again, um, this happened last night between a quarter past seven and half eight at uh, a petrol station on the Slane Navan Road. Um, the premises was entered and some of the money taken. Um, someone may have noticed a car parked close to the garage or people on foot travelling to or from the garage. And it's the Guardian Avenue at 046-907-9930. Okay,
1: some criminal damage in Dundalk. Uh, to conclude with, I imagine this is uh, the incident uh, the Chief Superintendent was talking about earlier. Uh, I, I'm
8: unfortunately, sorry, Michael, ahead, I didn't yeah, hear that. I was travelling right. to you, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, as, uh, on the 19th of November last... Or, sorry, Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, the 19th, at about half three in the morning, we had a car uh, set alight and burnt as a house on the red barn olden and dock old um the guardi as uh, Dundalk investigating, and it's oh four two nine three double eight
1: four hundred. Okay, well, thanks uh, for that, uh, Sergeant Rodney Hodgkinson of Laytown Garda Station. And we'll return to the Garda Crown Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's program. That's where our time has run out on us uh, once again today. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's program available on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon if you would like to listen back. Before we go, our thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for research. And Chris Murray into control terror. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye.
0: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from nine on
2: LMFM. To contact us, email now michael at
0: lmfm.ie.